Welcome. You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Today is the first Sunday of Advent as we look to close out the calendar year over the next few Sundays. As with many nonprofits, we bring in a majority of our revenues in this last bit of the year. So if you are not caught up on your pledging or you have a little extra to give, we would encourage you to take advantage of that both online, you can do that, or in the baskets as you leave the sanctuary. Um, I want you to know that I look in the mirror when I say that because I looked at my pledge statement. I was like, we've got some makeup to do. So um, I'm with many of you. Folks have done a really good job of entering into Advent this year. We've got a a number of different ministries that we've started. Um, Carrie Weatherfoot has put together our Advent Festival of Trees, which is next Saturday from 4 to 6. It'll be outside. We invite you and your family to come through. We invite celebrate. They've got different activities and ministry to participate in, so we invite you to do that. Well, we've titled our sermon series, Living Nativity. What does it mean to step into the story of Jesus, especially in these opening chapters? Today, we look at the opening chapter of Luke, the first four verses. What we're going to see is a common feature of uh, literature in antiquity where the author would begin with a prologue. He'd lay out greet his audience, say why you should believe him, why you should care about this great story. And Luke is no different as he begins with his prologue. So let us listen for the word of the Lord. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you by your spirit might speak a word that only you can speak. Lord, that our hearts might be opened. Lord, many of us bring in baggage from the ups and the downs of our lives into this worship service. I pray that we would not leave it at the door, but that we would bring it in our hearts to you right now and lay it at your feet. And that by hearing your story, it might transform our story. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Stories have tremendous power over our lives. They don't just tell us about the past, they also shape our futures. I remember watching the Chicago Bulls play the Cleveland Cavaliers in the 1989 NBA playoffs. With three seconds left in the game, Michael Jordan catches the ball. He drives left about the foul line. He jumps in the air. He seems to levitate. Craig Elo, who is guarding him, also jumps and comes down. And then Jordan, hanging in the air, shoots the shot. 
and it goes in, and the Chicago Bulls win. I remember that game. Every time I would go out into my front driveway to play, to reenact that event, I would dribble left about 15 feet from the hoop. I would jump. I would not levitate. But I would shoot. And sometimes I would make the shot and I would say, yes. I was never Craig Elo. I was always Michael Jordan. This was a story I would tell myself hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And guess what? Over the years, I became pretty good at driving left, jumping in the air about the foul line, and shooting that shot. Reliving that story helped me become a better shooter. Stories shape our lives. What stories do you remember that shape your life? Maybe there's a story of a teacher once telling you that you were smart and that continued to give you confidence in school for your future. Or maybe there's a story of someone once telling you that you were ugly and now you struggle to believe that you are beautiful. Or maybe you once got laid off from a job and now you live in fear that it will happen again. Stories shape our lives. The stories we hear and think about have power over us. And in today's text, Luke tells us, begins to tell us about the story of Jesus. He believes the story of Jesus' life should shape our lives. In this Advent, we will look at the beginning of the story of Jesus' life. And I believe as this story comes to life, as we listen to it again and again, it can dramatically shape our lives. This is what it means to step into the living nativity. Luke begins with a prologue. Many folks, when they read this, they kind of just skip over these opening verses to get to the drama, to get to the good stuff. But I think we can learn something from it. Luke writes, since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, he goes on, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first to write an orderly account for you. The first lesson we can learn is everyone has a story to tell. Just because there are other stories and there are other storytellers doesn't mean you shouldn't tell your own story. I've heard it said, we speak loudest when we speak with our own voices. Luke acknowledges that, yeah, sure, other people have told the story of Jesus, but he needs to tell his story as well. In our Bible, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell a little different, different version of Jesus' life. We need Luke to share his version. Would we be any better off without the gospel of Luke in our Bibles? What if Luke had gone all Eeyore on us? Everyone has already told the Jesus story. Poor me. I'm late to the party. I've written a lot and no one ever reads what I write. Come on, Luke. Luke's like, no, I got a story to tell. Did you know that if we didn't have Luke's gospel, we wouldn't have the parable of the Good Samaritan? We wouldn't have the parable of the prodigal son, two of Jesus' most famous parables. 
If we didn't have it, we wouldn't have the opening details to the story of Jesus' birth. We wouldn't have the story of Jesus' infancy, the shepherds coming to adore him in the manger. We wouldn't have Luke's perspective on Jesus' ministry to social outcasts. We need Luke's perspective, and we need you to tell your stories too. We need your perspective. We need your unique view. One of the great wonders of the world is that we all have a unique face. Sometimes I just sit back and just, I'm just astounded that there are so many different faces in the world, no two exactly the same, and in just the same way, no two stories are the same. No two are exactly alike. We all have a unique story. We're called to share our stories. Over the past few months, I've taken the opportunity and liberty to interview members of the congregation for, for our Closing the Distance newsletters, and I've tried to get a diversity of perspectives, men and women, younger and older, professionals and retirees, students, parents, grandparents, people with a high profile, people who like to fly underneath the radar. I've so enjoyed the opportunity to hear your stories, what God has done in your life, what this church means to you, how God is continually using you. There's a lot of stories out there, and just like Luke, we need to tell our stories. He goes on. They were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. The second lesson is you need to say what you've seen. You need to say what you've seen. Luke says he's done his homework and he's heard the testimony of the eyewitnesses to these events. There's a reason we have four gospels in our New Testament. One witness, a few people might believe. Two witnesses, a few more might believe. But four gospels, that's a lot of witnesses. And while Luke and Matthew tend to borrow from the gospel of Mark, they also add their own details to the story of Jesus. It's the same for writers and directors of movies. We know who wrote or directed a movie by what we see and experience when we watch a film. Steven Spielberg has emotionally moving scenes full of adventure and suspense. Mel Brooks has a great sense of humor. Sofia Coppola wants whatever is on the screen to match the themes of the movie. Quentin Tarantino has gratuitous violence. David Lynch is just plain weird. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have their own interests and their unique audiences in mind. And the differences in their stories actually contributes to the veracity of their stories. This is true for witnesses in court cases. If two witnesses that testify in court match each other's stories exactly, you know what? We know they've been coached or that they've gotten together to collude together. They're not telling us the truth. The little minor differences in someone's story actually speaks to the truthfulness, the veracity of what they're telling. And the New Testament writers are trying to persuade us that this is not a fairy tale. This is a story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It can change our lives. It's changed the world. It changes everything. The Apostle Paul, the great missionary of the early church, knew this fact well. In his letter to the church in Corinth, in his first letter, he says this, I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, 
and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Why should we believe that? And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Okay. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. He says, I've handed on to you of first importance in turn what I have received. He says, I'm not telling you something, something that's just kind of important. This is of utmost importance. Paul says more than 500 people at one time witnessed the risen Christ. Different people, different times, different places. They saw him. They witnessed him. Many of these people, he says, are still alive. Go ask them for yourself. This was not an everyday occurrence. God had done something new in the history of the world. And just as those eyewitnesses had to tell what they had seen, we also need to bear witness to the presence of God in our lives, what we have seen and what we have heard. One of the great things about the holidays is that we get the opportunity to gather with loved ones and tell our stories. We all have stories to tell. We can tell stories about our childhood. Well, when I was your age, I had to walk to school in the snow uphill both ways. Stories about love. Oh, honey, when I met your dad, he was a mess. I had to coach him up. Ooh. Tell stories of loss. I miss grandma, her smile, her holiday cookies. Remember that time she stuffed our stockings full? We all have stories to tell, and I believe it's a tremendous gift and honor to share these stories with each other. But most of all, I hope we tell our stories against the great backdrop of the story of what God has done in Jesus Christ. I think that's one of the reasons we celebrate Advent every year to tell our story against the great backdrop of what God has done in Jesus Christ. There's a spiritual transformation that will happen to our stories when we do that. A story of losing a loved one told against the backdrop of Jesus can be transformed in a story of gratitude and hope. A story of conflict, story of confrontation told against the great backdrop of Jesus can become a story of forgiveness, love, reconciliation. A story of stinginess can become one of generosity and grace. Our stories are transformed when we tell our stories against the great backdrop of what God has done in Jesus Christ. One of the places I've most learned about this is from one of my favorite books and movies. I know I'm always saying that, but this really is one of my favorite books and movies. A River Runs Through It by Norman MacLean. The story recounts the tragedy of Norman's younger brother's murder in the movie Brad Pitt plays him. But it's also a meditation on religion. Norman's father was the minister at First Presbyterian Church of Missoula, Montana. It's a memoir of family and fly fishing. The MacLean family lived not far from the shores of the great big Blackfoot River. It's also a story about telling stories and how to tell your own story makes sense of your life. You see, after college, Norman McLean became an English professor at the University of Chicago. A lot of people don't know this. He rarely published anything. 
In fact, he didn't write A River Runs Through It until he was in his 70s. Said he waited to publish until he was retired. Towards the end of the book, Norman recounts a conversation with his father that hints at why he eventually had to write the book. Norman's brother has been murdered, and he and his father are trying to make some sense of what has happened. I quote directly. Once, for instance, my father asked me a series of questions that suddenly made me wonder whether I understood even my father, whom I felt closer to than any man I have ever known. You like to tell true stories, don't you? He asked, and I answered, yes, I like to tell stories that are true. Then he asked, after you have finished your true stories sometime, why don't you make up a story and the people to go with it? Only then will you understand what happened and why. See, Norman's father understood the power of a story. He knew Norman had to get to the place in his life to tell the story of his family, but it had to be imbued with his own perspective, his own emotion, filled with his own feeling. He had to tell his story in his own way. But at the close of the book, in the concluding last few sentences, we see Norman draw all the strands of these stories, of fishing, of faith, of family, of God's rhythms, into one. In my opinion, this is one of the most beautiful passages in English literature. He writes, Of course, now I am too old to be much of a fisherman, and now, of course, I usually fish the big waters alone, although some friends think I shouldn't. Like many fly fishermen in western Montana, where the summer days are almost arctic in length, I often do not start fishing until the cool of the evening. Then in the arctic half-light of the canyon, all existence fades to a being with my soul and memories and the sounds of the big Blackfoot River and a four-count rhythm and the hope that a fish will rise. Eventually all things merge into one and a river runs through it. The river was cut by the world's great flood and runs over rocks from the basement of time. On some of the rocks are timeless raindrops. Under the rocks are the words, and some of the words are theirs. I am haunted by waters. Norman is haunted by waters because they echo the words of God that reverberate from the beginning of time. These words sit silently in the shadows of our lives as our stories unfold. We are called to tell our stories. We must give voice to these words. But as we tell them, we must tell them against the great backdrop of God's words spoken in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here, in the intersection of these stories, we find humanity's true home. This is what it means to step in to the living nativity. Let us step in to God's story of peace, hope, love, and joy this Advent. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the great story you have spoken in your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray that you might transform our own personal stories with your story, that we might have the boldness to confront our story and to tell it to others. We thank you for what you have done for us, and we celebrate that this Advent. Amen.
You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.